0: Good morning. Um, my asthma has been really bad, so I'm going to huff and puff and blow out the message, okay? <laughs> I would appreciate your prayers for that. Uh, it's quite debilitating sometimes, and last night was not fun. So having said that, God's bigger than everything else, right? So we're going to get in the Word, and we that's what we do at Calvary Chapels. We get in the Word. If you're new here, we're just going to go through the Bible. That's what we do. It's not complicated but it's quite powerful, because the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to change God's people, and it's, it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Every time you read it, every time you hear it, every time you memorize it, every time you just think about it, God is speaking, and it's inerrant and fallible, so we can trust it, and we have to be able to trust the Bible, or we're in trouble, so we believe what we have in the Bible is what we're going to believe and what we're going to teach, and we don't get to make it up, and we don't get to change it, we don't get to decide what's what. No, we say, this is God's Word, Amen. So if you would stand as we read, I'm going to read just a little part of, oh, but, but by the way, tomorrow night uh, is, we're going to be praying for souls. We do that every first Monday of the month. So if you can come out, it's one hour, 6.30 to 8 to 7.30. And we're seeing God answering these prayers, but not like we would like to see it. We want to see the Lord outpouring pouring his spirit out and people getting saved regularly and just a lot of that, not just here, but throughout this building. And then with that, try praying. I hope you'll do that. Commit to doing it. You have to just commit yourself. Maybe it's going to be one person this next week, or maybe it's going to be one person every day, but take those booklets, give them to somebody, and it's amazing. I used to, uh, when I was in California, every Friday and every Saturday night, we were down the Huntington Beach Pier handing out tracts and stuff like that. It's so invigorating to be doing that, engaging with people with the gospel. So here we go. Uh, Leviticus, did I tell you where we are in, in the Bible? No. We're in Leviticus, okay? It's right there, okay? <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. We're going to read, I'm going to read verses 1 through uh, 9. We're actually going to finish the chapter out. We got through 9 last week, but I want to reread that. It has all the contents, if you will, all the things that are going to be going on in the other two uh, offerings. So here we go. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting and he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So that's the gist of what we find in verses 10 through 13, if the offerings of, verse, look at verse 10, if, the off, if his offerings of the flocks, of the sheep or, or the goats, verse 14, and if the burnt, off, burnt sacrifice of his offering to the Lord is of birds. So it's basically the same things, so we're going to be looking at further into this whole burnt offering sacrifice. So would you pray with me? Lord, please take the, the things that I prepared, break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. We are hungry for you. Lord, we want to be changed from glory to glory into your self-same image. And we know that it's by the word of God taken in that you change us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to us and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us individually, to us as a church, that we might receive the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. We might walk out of here having an encounter with you, the living God. We're thankful, Lord, that you are the initiator. You've always been the initiator. So your desire towards us is that we would have peace. We'd be walking by faith. We'd have the joy of the Lord as our strength in all these things. So please, bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So keep your Bibles open. We'll be in, in that text. The rest of them we'll put up on the screen. 56 times in Leviticus, it states that God gave these laws to Moses. 56 times. This is God giving these things to Moses. There's no geographical movement that takes place in Leviticus. The Israelites remain at Mount Sinai. Leviticus contains very little narrative. It consists almost entirely of God-given regulations governing his relationship with them. How exciting is that? There's one thing that makes this book an exciting book to, to study. That one thing is the main thing, and he is Jesus. So we're going to be pulling Jesus out of this. In fact, Jesus said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but they are them which testify of me, and you will not come to me that you may have life. So the only way we're going to know what these things mean is having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that life that we're given, the eternal life of knowing God. So the scriptures, we search them, but what we really need to do is pull Jesus out of these things as he's ministering to us this morning. So God help me. A little extended review to begin. And I would direct you to last week's study. Now, there we looked at the first four pictures from this first, burnt, this first offering in chapter 1 of Leviticus called the burnt offering. Leviticus means pertaining to the Levites. So the Levites of them, one tribe of the 12 that was set apart by God for the tabernacle work of God. One family of the Levites, Aaron and his sons, were set apart to God to be priests. The rest of the families of the Levites were to be his assistants to, were to be assistants to the priest. Their duties were the care of the tabernacle and later the care of the temple, and also to be teachers, scribes, musicians, officers, and judges. So the book of Leviticus serves as a handbook for the Levitical priesthood. It must be kept in mind, this is by way of review, but I think it's an important review. It must be kept in mind that all these things that they were doing were done by faith, They're offered by faith. That's the same thing for us. That has not changed. Believing God according to his word, according to his promises, according to his laws, according to his judgments. What God has said. Faith in God, in his provision for us. Do I believe these things that God has said about what he will do, his promises, and how he would atone for my sin, how he would reconcile me to himself, how he would cleanse me from my sin, that the priestly ministry was God's provision. The sacrifices were God's provision for them to mediate his mercy and his grace and his love. Jesus becomes that for us. God's provision to mediate his mercy, his grace, and his love. All the sacrifices are offered in believing God, in believing that that innocent animal became God's provision for their atonement from their sin, the forgiveness of their sins, and their, their need for continual cleansing. So the first question that comes up, do we believe God's word? Do we believe what he's promised to us through Jesus Christ and all the fullness thereof? So it was of God. It came from God. It was not from man. It was from God for man. That's always been what God, he's the initiator. So the purpose for them was very clear. In Leviticus chapter 11... It says for I am the Lord your God you shall therefore consecrate yourself this first offering is a consecration offering and you shall be holy for I am holy neither shall you defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God you shall therefore be holy for I am holy again Leviticus chapter 19 verse 2 speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them you shall be holy For I, the Lord your God, am holy. So this whole idea of holiness, it's a key word in Leviticus. 87 times in the book of Leviticus, we read holy. Eight times, capital H, we read of the holy place. So to combine 95 times, holy is the word is used. Be holy, 21 times. So you're to be holy. It's It's the theme of the book, holiness to the Lord. Now Peter made it clear that this same purpose was given to us as believers in first Peter chapter one, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And so this holiness is being set apart to God for his purposes. That's what holy means. Set apart to God for his purposes. Augustine, many of you have heard that name before, a theologian and philosopher Some would say that Augustine is perhaps the most significant Christian thinker after St. Paul. He wrote this. Breathe into me, Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may be all holy. Move in me, Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Attract my heart, Holy Spirit, that I may love only what is holy. Strengthen me, Holy Spirit, that I may defend all that is holy. Protect me, Holy Spirit, that I may always be holy. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So the offerings were a type and symbol of substitution, making atonement for sin. In other words, the penalty paid and guilt removed. The main chapter in that is Leviticus chapter 16. Now in Hebrews we read this, But in those sacrifices... There is a reminder of sin every year, for it is not possible the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So there's this reminder that comes. There are all types and symbols pointing to Jesus' death on the cross to completely take care of sin once for all. The blood of bulls and goats did not do that. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So in Colossians we read, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. This is just reviewing from last week. It reveals in types, Leviticus, in types and symbols, Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of all these things. He's God's righteous servant. He's God's perfect sacrifice. He's man's perfect substitute. He's man's one mediator. He is man's great and forever high priest. So I had this quote last week, but I love it. So here we go again. If you just read Leviticus on the surface, you may think it's just a bunch of grumpy, irrelevant rules. But it's actually the way God gave his people access to himself, unquote. That's the picture. This access God provided was by way of a continual reminder of the seriousness of sin. I was reminded of this again in our great break meeting as Richard was sharing. He's reading this thing and he's saying, you know, the seriousness of sin, we just got done with, Uh, a few studies on the cross where we looked at that, the seriousness of sin. Ultimately, the access God provided through the cross is the removal of sin once for all. Say, amen, praise the Lord. Amen, Amen, praise the Lord. Now, as Jesus came and accomplished, fulfilled all that had been going on for hundreds of years, God reminding us again and again and again that there's a need there are sacrifices necessary for the atonement of our sins, and the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. They're reminded of our sin. They, they were there as a picture of sin for us. Ultimately, God's provision would be through the cross, which he promised way back right when man sinned in the garden, that the, that the woman's seed would bruise the serpent's head. There would be this victory over sin. So David Guzik, in, Levit- in his Leviticus commentary, quoted Spurgeon about the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Quote, there must be an infinite merit about his death, a reward unutterable, immeasurable. Methinks if there had been a million worlds to redeem, their redemption could not have needed more than this, than the sacrifice of himself. If the whole universe teeming with worlds as many as the sands of the seashore had required to be ransomed, that one giving up of the ghost might have sufficed as a full price for them all, unquote. So accomplished Jesus what was impossible apart from him. Now, I thought, I said, indeed, that's true. But I, then I thought of the glaring contrast expressed by Isaac Watts. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but lost in poor contempt on all my pride. And he says, were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, Demands my soul, my life, my all. The burnt offering is an offering of total consecration of our lives to God. And you are a theologian. A book we're reading through with my son's small group. He, they write, consider the magnificent sweep of what he has accomplished for us. I'm going to have you just listen. In Christ you are forgiven. In Christ you are saved. In Christ you are justified. In Christ you are reconciled. In Christ you are loved. In Christ you are adopted. In Christ you are cleansed. In Christ you are healed. In Christ you are redeemed. In Christ you are free. In Christ you are rescued. In Christ you are triumphant. In Christ you have hope. In Christ you have inheritance. In Christ you have peace. In Christ you have rest. Everyone say amen. Amen. That's what we So we are looking at. Pictures. That God was giving. To nail it down. Tight. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He alone washed it white as snow. So I hope that God will will be ministering to us about Jesus as we go through the book of Leviticus. Chapters 1 through 16 is the way to God. The sacrifice and priestly mediation that he provided. It's the way to draw near to know and to worship a holy God. Chapters 1 through 16. Chapter 17 through 27 is the walk with God, which is the consecration of personal obedience. So it's the walk with God in the beauty, listen, in the beauty of holiness. We think of holiness as, no, it's a beautiful thing. This thing called holy. Be holy for I am holy. Set apart to God for his purposes. So the whole offering in the burnt offering goes to God. You might say it goes up in smoke. Nothing left. Complete consecration. It literally means that which ascends, the burnt offering. So it pictures the yielding of the whole being in self-surrender to an intense consecration, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. That's what it pictures. And I think, as I shared last week, that the first offering is first because I think it's most precious to God. He doesn't start with a sin offering. He doesn't start with a trespass offering. He starts out with the offering that represents full consecration, a life surrendered wholly to him for his purposes. So the first thing, we looked at four of them last week. The first was a picture of a perfection without blemish. A perfection without blemish. Do we have that there? There we go. Holy surrendering to his perfecting work in my life. I'm surrendering to his. So this perfection, it's a picture of a perfection without blemish. A perfection not mine, but his. We looked at that last week. Secondly, it's a picture of a decision. That decision is not his, it's mine. That I'm going to, of his own free will, I'm going to decide of my own free will. And that's what makes it meaningful. I'm deciding that I want to have a relationship with God. I'm deciding of my own free will, I'm going to wholly consecrate my life to him. And sacrifice to him. So it's wholly surrendering my will to do his will, not mine. It's a picture of identification, putting his hand on the head, wholly surrendering to the new life I have in Christ Jesus. Wow. I'm surrendering to what God has given to me, this new life in Christ Jesus, where I've been ba- in baptism. The picture is the, the old life is buried and I raised again in newness of life. The fourth one we looked at was a picture of substitution, accepted the sacrifice to make atonement for him wholly surrendering my acceptance in the beloved. As it says in Ephesians, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. So those are the four we looked at last week. So we'll pick up number five here. Look at Leviticus chapter one, verse five. He shall kill the bull before the Lord, the priests and Aaron's sons shall put, bring the blood and look, sprinkle the blood all around on the altar, that, it by, that is, by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. He shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. Then the sons of Aaron and the priests shall put fire on the altar and lay wood on the fire. Then it says, notice verse, uh, the uh, offering of the flock in verse uh, 10. If his offering is of the flocks, of the sheep or the goats, or as, as a burnt offering, he shall bring a male Without blemish, he shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And the priest Aaron's son, here it is, shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. So this sprinkling of blood is the next picture we get. And I believe it's a picture of covenant confirmation. We'll look at that through scriptures. Covenant confirmation. This blood says something. It's confirming something. So in Exodus chapter 12, it says, now remember the, the Passover. God said, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. Exodus chapter 12, verse 21. Then Moses said to them, to kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is on the basin. And strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptian. And when he sees the blood, what? Sprinkled on that doorpost? On the lintel and on the two doors, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. So this sprinkling of blood represented the sealing of a covenant, sealing, not sealing, but S-E-A-L-I-N-G, the sealing of a covenant or promise for the people of Israel. Sprinkle the blood. It represented the ratifying of a life-giving commitment by God to his people. When I see the blood, when I see the blood, he told him, sprinkle it when I see it. This covenant confirmation, promise confirmation. In Exodus chapter 24, let's read. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. Here's the deal. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. So everyone's included. He goes on in verse 5. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. And so this covenant ratification, confirmation, was in sprinkling the blood. Now, if we go over to Hebrews chapter 9, Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, his body. Not with the blood of goats and calves, with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, notice, sprinkling the unclean. So that covenant, that, that promise, what God said, if sprinkling the unclean, confirming the covenant, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, which is the old covenant, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, Offer himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to what? Serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death for the redemption of the transgression under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. So he goes on in verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood, confirming a confirmation of the covenant. For Moses had spoken every precept to all the people. We just read that. According to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Confirmation. Verse 21. Then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. It's all of God's plan, all God's provision. He's confirming these things. So he sprinkled, says there. I've I lost my place. By faith, notice, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, in Hebrews 12, 24, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So this sprinkling of the blood is the, is the covenant confirmation that happens in a holy surrendered life. That God has promised these things and through the blood of Jesus Christ We've been given a covenant, this new covenant. So Jesus said, likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. My blood. It's fantastic. So it's a picture of covenant confirmation, holy surrendering. When we surrender to God, we're surrendering to the new covenant, not the old. This new covenant that's ours through Jesus Christ. This new covenant does away with the first old covenant. This was promised all all the way along. Now, picture number six in verse 12. And he shall cut 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 it into pieces, the sacrifice, with its head and its fat. And the priest shall lay them, here's the key, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. In verse seven, put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. And then verse eight, lay the parts, the head and the fat in order on the wood that is on the fire. So this whole idea of in order, what does that mean? The picture to me is priestly attention. Lay it in order. We do not know how this was done. We don't know what it looked like. But it indicates that the priests could not just pile up the wood and pile up the sacrifices as they were offering them. That each sacrifice was to be given careful individual attention. And may I say to you, that is the deal in your life. When you are looking by faith to consecrate your life to God, he sees that individually. He pays attention to that. He knows exactly what's on your heart and what's on my heart. And how many of you have cried out, well, I just want to wholly consecrate my life to you. God hears that. He knows that. He knows what's in my heart. He knows my desire to serve him. He knows I want to live my life for him. And so the work that he's doing in me is a part of that consecration. I say, oh, I want it all to be yours. How many of you wrestle with that? Listen, by faith, we offer our lives to God. He, he sees what we're doing. He knows our desire that way. He sees it and he gives attention to it. To everyone. I say cry out to God by faith. Keep crying out to God at the altar of the cross and say, Lord, my life, I want it to be all yours. Now we know very well who captured our attention. We see Jesus. In, ver- in Hebrews 2.9, who has made a little low of the angel for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. We see him glorified, what what he went through for us. We see Jesus on the cross. If you would, carefully laid out in order, he fulfilled every jot and tittle of the prophetic word himself, just as God had planned that in in order to bring our salvation. But transcending all this, we see Jesus as the attentive, forever, great high priest. Isn't that so cool? He is attentive to you. We looked at that when we went through the book of Hebrews. That's what really grabbed me through that whole book. That we have this high priest, his name is Jesus, who is paying attention to our lives. And wanting now, we have a good, we, have, we do a good job of looking back to the cross. But as we went through Hebrews, we also need to be looking up to the great high priest. Jesus accomplished that, he's accomplishing now in our lives as our great high priest, making intercession for us. And so reading the book of Hebrews, therefore, in all things he has to be like his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Seeing then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Listen, let us hold fast our confession. In fact, this this picture and the next one go right together. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all things tempted as we are tempted, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Let's say it again. That by two, in Hebrews chapter 6, that by two immutable things, God promised it and then he swore to it. He didn't have to do either. He did both. That we might know that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we would have strong consolation of have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunners entered for us. Even Jesus having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. We have a high priest, a great high priest. This picture of priestly attention. Lay the wood in order on the altar. Let's go to Hebrew, continue in Hebrews. Also, there are many priests because they are prevented by death from continuing. So the priesthood continues, but it was a human priesthood, not divine as Jesus is. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. It's not going to go away. He's not going to get lost. He's not going to wonder what's going on. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Someone said, save to the guttermost. Those who come to God through him, and he always, since he always lives to make intercession for them, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. Now, this is the main point in chapter 8 of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. Therefore, brethren, chapter 10, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. It's a picture of priestly attention. Lay the wood in order on the fire. Holy surrendering at the throne of grace. Would you say amen to that? I'm wholly surrendering my life at the throne of grace because of Jesus Christ. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we attain mercy, find grace to help. That we have a high priest who is attentive. And there for us. Now, this picture directly connects to the next one in, chapter, in verse 13. But he shall wash the entrails and the legs with with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire. Now, I wrestle with this one. What is that supposed to be picturing? I'll give you a couple of my thoughts on it. Our, it's a confession. It's a picture of our confession. He shall, he sh- it says, but he shall, and then it says, Wash the entrails. Before, after the sacrifice was killed, before it was offered, there had to be this washing. Washing of the entrails. Washing away defilement from the animal's excrement. Yuck. You know that little yuck picture? That's what's going on here. Sacrifice is dead. It says, but he shall wash, then the priest shall bring it and burn it at the altar. It's very simply a final washing with water Performed by the priest, the very final thing of all that was this washing before before the fire was thrown on the fire. Now, look at first in chapter he- in Hebrews chapter ten. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, there's going to be nothing left of defilement. There's going to be nothing left of corruption. Jesus is going to take care of all of it to the very last in our lives. Let us draw near. Seeing we have a great high priest who's passed through heaven, Jesus Christ, let us hold fast. He says that a couple of times. Let us hold fast our confession. So it's a picture of our confession Holy surrendering to Him who's faithful. That's what he's, He was bringing out. All, we have a faithful high priest. He is faithful. I'm surrendering my life to Him who's faithful. To Him who will take care of all these things of defilement and corruption. So another picture that came to mind with this was the de- after death. What happens after death? There's corruption. In fact, in less than four minutes, the body starts to be corrupted. And so this whole picture may be of the resurrection. In fact, I was thinking this thing through. And in Acts chapter, as Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost concerning Jesus' resurrection, it says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he, he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him of, that of the fruit of, it, of the body, according to the flesh, he would raise him up, Christ to sit on, the, on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. And his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He never, it never happened. for him. He was the perfect sacrifice. Sin laid on him, but his body never, never uh, experienced corruption. He raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David... Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow the Holy One to see corruption. In 1 Corinthians, you know it well, verse 50, chapter 15. This this I say, excuse me. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. What is God going to do about this corruption in this body? You might look at it as the bodily resurrection. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and move. will always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is. No like your labors not in vain in the Lord. Listen. This body may corrupt, but I'm going to get a new one. And Jesus made that sure for me and for you too. That all the corruption, all the yuck. <laughs> and let me tell you, I'm 71. This is, I got a lot of yuck going on in my body. <laughs> from asthma to, to neuropathy. I'm looking forward to a new body. I'm looking forward to this resurrection. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know I'm going to look better than I do now. <laughs> and so will you, so don't laugh at me. <laughs> so I, I don't know if that's the picture or not, but that came to mind when I started thinking about this corruption. What's the final after the After the, the death of the sacrifice, before it's actually offered, there's this cleansing of all the yuck. And I look forward to being cleansed of all the yuck when, I raise, when I'm raised from the dead. And all these things are passed away. All the tears wiped away. And I'm in my new body. This, in fact, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, it's this new body. It's, it's the old tent. When this old tent is all done with, I have a new, new body, eternal in the heavens, that God has prepared for me. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's been at that for over 2,000 years. Working on our bodies. So I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'll tell you, that, that whole, the, the whole picture there, that our confession, holy surrendering to him who's faithful. You know, when we die, we have, there's only one, one thing that we can count on, that Jesus is there. We can't raise ourselves up, we, but Jesus promised that he will do just that. He's going to take care of all the yuck. Finally, the final one is a picture of joy-filled recognition, this sweet aroma to the Lord. And if the burnt offering of his offering is to the Lord is of birds, then he shall, verse 14, he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or young pigeons. Two types of birds were acceptable. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar. And he shall remove its crop and its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the place of, for ashes. Then he shall split at its wings. He shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire. No, here it is, a sweet aroma to the Lord. In verse 9, it says the same thing, a sweet aroma to the Lord. In verse 13, the same thing, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Ten times in Leviticus, we read this sweet aroma to the Lord. In all the offerings made by fire to the Lord, it was never called a sweet offering until after it was offered on the altar. It was offered on the altar by the priest to the Lord. That's when it became a sweet-smelling aroma. It's that which brings joy to the Lord. It's that a sweet aroma to a life fully consecrated. The final one, the final picture is this joy that God has in that. Starts with that, ends with that. All that's offered to God brings from him a recognition, an aroma In Ephesians, Paul wrote, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. When we are walking in love, oh, how that brings joy to the heart of God. And not only that, it brings joy in the presence of our lives. Philippians, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent for you, from you, a sweet-smelling aroma and acceptable sacrifices, well, sacrifice, well-pleasing to the Lord. So generosity and giving, it's all a part. God is generous, God is loving. And I love this, song, this, I just heard it as I was listening to a Bible study through Psalms. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. It's just that, consecrated life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what we're talking about with a holy, a life wholly consecrated to him. Got okay, to get the worship team to come out. So wholly surrendering in the joy of his presence. So the access God provided was by way of a continual reminder of the seriousness of sin. It's a picture, though, of the access God provided through the cross for the removal of of sin once for all. But we're in this time now of a sanctification by the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to just read these eight again, but I want to bring in that whole aspect of sin. So, holy surrendering to His perfecting work in my life. Here's the deal. With sin, I, I, I'm so prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So I'm going to continue to surrender my life to His workmanship. Holy surrendering my will to do his will. I, I will to do what I don't do. Paul worked that in Romans. 7. I will to do. I want to do the will of God. And so, what I'm going to do, I'm going to surrender to his word. What does his word say? That's what I want to be doing. A holy surrendering to my new life in Christ. Here's the deal because of sin. I, whose spirit is willing but flesh is weak, I'm going to yield my members. I'm going to surrender my life to His Spirit. Holy surrendering to my acceptance in the Beloved. I am not worthy of the least of His mercies. But I'm going to surrender to His mercy. The mercy seat. Holy surrender to the new covenant in Christ. Listen. Before Christ, we were far off. Hopeless. Without God in the world. But through Christ, my, my, through Christ, in the blood of Christ, I'm brought near to God. Holy surrendering at the throne of grace to my great High Priest. Holy surrendering to Him is faithful. See, I am needy. You are needy. That's what sin has done. I'm faithless many times, but He's faithful. I don't deserve eternal life, but He is the joy. He hit for me to be saved is the joy of His heart for me. So I hope this helps as far as the pictures of what does it mean to live a holy, surrendered life to God. So would you stand? Let's close in a song and I'll pray.